But the best line out of all of it came from Jeff Tepper, who said, Steve Davis doesn't like kit talk, but let's see how he likes cat talk. Yeah. Third Degree the Podcast is brought to you by Soccer90.com. Right now, shop all the latest arrivals, including FIFA Women's World Cup gear, FC Dallas, new European club gear. Get that new good-looking stuff. Grab the Marvel FC Dallas pre-match top. That's good stuff. Captain America balls before they're gone. Third Degree listeners get 20% off your order at Soccer90.com when you use the code Third Degree at checkout. Some exclusions do apply. Well, hello there, FC Dallas Curious fan. Welcome to episode 219, 219 of Third Degree, the podcast. My name is Peter, and on the panel today, as they say, hello, Dan Crook. What's going on? You know, uh, just watching the United States lose and penalties to Panama just seconds, mere seconds ago, quietly pleased that I don't have to watch any more Gold Cup. Yeah, and it was uh, pretty what? depressing. Yeah, pretty, <laughs> no, I don't know. Depressing. It's just. I it just told somebody earlier today. There's like a you know that, that Panama absolutely would not win. That they played a Qatar team that was effectively the Fort Worth for Carreros and don't read too much into it. So I'm gonna eat crow. <laughs> yeah, not. Uh, hey, C teams are never. Uh, very rarely are C teams for a national team uh, fun to watch and make you fill with joy. So I'm buzzing. I can share that experience with the United with the U.S. Uh, dating back for a very long time. Speaking of which, there he is. Hello, Buzz Carrick. Oh, hello, Peter. Yeah, we just just watching the end of the Gold Cup. Uh, it was a heartbreaking out, but you know, Panama's pretty good. So it happens. And, and as you say, U S didn't bring their best team. And so it's not surprising. And there's my phone. Uh, is the bright side. This means they don't get to put more, even more mileage and time and wear and tear on Jesus. Uh, and we get him back faster. I would hope that's what that means. <laughs> you you would hope that, uh, I, I, I think I just read or just saw that there's not a third place game. So, um, that's oh, actually thank- a, Benefit. Baby Jesus, yes, yeah. So, uh, I, you know, look, I don't, I don't think Jesus is going to jump on a plane tomorrow, get back here on Friday, and then turn around. Actually, you know what? Dallas is even leaving on uh, tomorrow, so you know maybe he'll just stay up there and meet him. I, you know, I don't know whether Nico's the kind of guy who would, uh, excuse me, fly up from San Diego and meet them. I don't, I don't know if Nico's the kind of guy that would let him just walk in and play or, or not. But that would be a lot of load, you know considering he just played back-to-back 120-minute games. So I, I wouldn't count on that Yeah, as a Dallas fan. Well, or maybe they just uh, give him some time off until League Cup starts. Probably rest him for that all-important League Cup. Yep. We'll talk uh, about that more later. Yeah, we will talk about that later. Unfortunately, you uh, lovers of this club, we have to talk about the absolute turd, which is the game in Colorado. Uh, now, again, I think we all know the state this club is in in this particular time and moment, but when you compare it to some of the uh, really crummy <laughs> runs in uh, FC Dallas burn history, this one runs right up there as Dallas loses in Colorado 2-1. to one. Yeah, I think in the postgame, Coach was a little bit um, 
uh, you know, second guessing that flex tactic that they did with Corsa moving in and out of a three back to a four back, and maybe he wasn't quite up for it. And it, it did get a lot better when they had Endelay in, and they went in the second half when they went straight back to a you know a more normal formation. Um, at the same time, uh, Corsa did not get subbed at halftime for that. He got subbed because he got a concussion. So he's actually, which I was uh, horrified in a way to learn that that's why he got taken out, not because he was playing like dog shit. So um, that that wasn't so good. That performance wasn't so good. But, you know, at the same time, coach will often talk about, you know, sort of macro level performances. And, and um, you know, if, if an early chance goes in or the, it changes the game and that kind of things. But that first half looked pretty one sided to me. So I'm not. 100% sure that he's right about that. But I will admit that the second half was better as, as these things go. They looked like they were actually in the game in the second half as opposed to the first half. But it was not a good performance pretty much across the board. No, in fact, I uh, I have to be honest with you guys. I started watching the game. I wasn't available to watch it live Saturday night. And so I, I started watching it Sunday morning. And it was such a unbelievably poor game of soccer. I I paused it to go do something in the backyard and forgot to come back and ever finish watching the game. Well, it, it, from a tactical standpoint, it was kind of interesting because of the flex formation that, that Dallas was doing where Junker was basically playing like four positions on the right side of the field. He got a third of the field by himself and they were moving in and out of one tactic to another in the flow of the game, one shape to another in the flow of the game. So that was kind of fascinating to watch. What wasn't so fascinating was how poor um, Corsa dealt with Harris on his side and how bad it was. It did work, like I said, work better than the second half. So I don't blame you for not going back to it because the first half was pretty abysmal. But I will tell you for sure that the second half was definitely better. And there was a bright side, if you will, for that particular performance because um, Endole and Dante Seeley and Bernard all looked pretty decent. And Dante Seeley was really pleasing to see because I, for one, of course, had no idea what kind of player they were getting back from PSV. Um, and he looked pretty bright for 20 minutes. So granted, it's just 20 minutes, but compared to where he was when he left, it was a pretty nice adjustment. He looked much more uh, integrated into a concept, which is good because he's only been here for like two weeks. He knew how to play more tactically and more in the system and it had some nice moments. So if that's all we can take away from this game is that a couple of the young guys look pretty decent when they finally got in, then, then that's it, I guess. Hmm. What was your review of the uh, loss, Dan? Uh, I, I joined you in uh, not being able to see it live because I was at the Death Star. And then I saw the result and heard it was terrible. And for my mental health, I was like, cool, not going to watch it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, uh, Buzz, I'm sorry we left yeah. you out on an island here. Let me. Let, yeah. I, I watched enough of the game to... Uh, look at, uh, well, a couple of notes of how much I watched the game. Maybe sure. I watched more than 10 minutes. I don't remember. But my takeaway was I was impressed with the effort and uh, it what appeared to be a improved Alan Velasco effort. Not, not in terms of effort, but like results. Like he was passing smarter. He was keeping possession a little bit better, uh, at least in the short amount of time I watched, which made me feel good, better about him. Uh, I was left feeling even worse about the ongoing curious case of one Sebastian Legette. Yeah. Look, we can all joke about whatever has happened in uh, his personal life. 
he's just not playing very well. Whatever the reason is, he's not the player that they're paying him a lot of money for. And he's, and, and I think that's a, that, that along with a lot of the injury stuff and other pieces, uh, not working right is what's wrong with this team. Yeah. Uh, Jet had 20 touches in the game, which is not the whole game game. Yeah. So I, I actually asked coach about that specifically. How does and that even happen? I don't know. Especially if a player as good as he is, you know, you, you would think I mean, it's clear that when you only have 20 touches for a guy like that, particularly because on paper he was lined up as a wing, but didn't work that way. They, he played like underneath the, the striker. Uh, and, and that's what I said. Like Junka had that whole side to himself. He was right in the box, right in the 14 zone. It was like they had double false swing kind of with him and Velasco. So you would think he'd be involved and, and, and we'll get to Velasco in a second, but, um, I asked coach about Legette specifically because of the amount of touches. And he said, yeah, we're trying sometimes when you try a tactic and it, and it doesn't always necessarily work, you know, and we need to do a better job of recognizing what's not working and try and get him back into the game and back into the integration. So there's a recognition that whatever's going on with Legette and, and them even trying him at that wing position to try and get him going didn't work. So, you know, there's a little bit of a drawing board thing happening there and, and a recognition that it's not working right. And so coach kind of, I think, took it a little bit on himself that, that he's got to figure out how to get the guy into the system in a way that will work. And, and, and that's a problem for the team because you're right. There's a lot of money in that spot and he's counted on to be this force out of midfield with goals and assists, uh, you know, or at least key passes. And he's not right now. So that's that's a problem. Well, and I, I think it's it, it is uh, an extended part of the larger problem. You know, I think you were the one, Buzz, who uh, around the same time were putting out a tweet kind of cal- calculating the total value of all the missing pieces. Yeah, yeah. And it was like $5 million of the $15 million of salary was, was not on the field and hasn't been for some time, which just elevates the importance of Legette needing to be a guy that does things and does it at a very high level because he's one of those high dollar guys right and so yeah. this whole look it this thing's not going to work well with the piss, mi- missing pieces that are not there but if Sebastian Legette is on the field it's more critical than ever that he takes hold of this team and and actually produces yeah when you included all the guys that were injured and and and, and Jesus being gone it was something like 6.5 mil now of course you know one or two of them have come back and so it's getting better but that that just in this league, and Coach and I have talked about this too, in this league, when you lose one or two best players, like you can look at the way Austin started this season missing Jerusi and and uh, whoever the other guy was. I can't remember the host they were missing, somebody important at the beginning of the year, or the way Sporting started the year when they were missing some of their key guys and all of a sudden they're much better. You know, When you're missing your key guys, very few teams can survive. And Dallas was missing, arguably, at least not based on what they're getting paid, like six of the top seven earners were missing, except for Velasco. You know, so it's a problem. Um, and that doesn't change the fact, though, that they have to try and continue to compete and trying to figure out um, what's going on, you know, and, and how to get some results because they're, clearly they're not. And, and Velasco has been part of that. and He's actually been playing um, uh, some news on him, by the way, today. There a bunch of quotes from him surfaced all over um, Twitter from Argentina where he said that, that Boca did, in fact, reach out to his people, but he's not interested and that he's very happy here. So hopefully that's not the death knell. I, I say that, and then he wasn't in training today. 
Do we know why? Yes. Well, I was, I asked because sometimes, you know, when a guy's missing from training and they're I'll be like, okay, should I be worried? And they were and coach said, no, 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 don't be worried. He has a tiny bit of muscle tightness and we just gave him a day off as a precaution, but he'll be back training tomorrow. So cross your fingers that they're not lying and that Alan's not lying and all his quotes he put out and it wasn't true. But so it sounds like, you know, I didn't get a chance to talk to him, of course, because I don't speak Spanish and he wasn't there. So we'll have to just take everybody at their word that that's really what is the case. And he is fine and he is happy and he is playing well because you're right. The last game or two, he has looked better. He still is not connecting partially because there's nobody to connect with, but um, he's at least doing better in his decision-making and his taking ons and, and stuff like that. Well, uh, I don't, I mean, I don't know what else to talk about the game in particular. I'm, I, I guess not seeing the Sealy appearance, why don't you, yeah. uh, that'll make us feel better, Buzz. So why don't you talk <laughs> about all the good stuff that you saw out of Dante? Well, you know, when, when he left here at 18, he was basically a teenager and, you know, a little bit to be fair and mature and, you know, not necessarily always the greatest attitude, but, um, from people I've talked to around the team, apparently he's been really bright and fresh and excited to be here and, and is so, so far apparently really enjoying working with coach Nico Steves and, and coach said some nice things about him and about his having the right mentality. You know, this coach is about mentality and training habits. So that's all great to hear. And in particular in this game, just his ability to, his touch looks really good, which was, you know, he never had bad touch before. It was always good, but it continues to be really good and even, even better. And he's even more a little heads up, like more his, his positioning was better. His field awareness was better. His decision-making is of when to go at people and when not to go at people was better. I don't know the stat right in front of me, but he had, something like something like um, 12 or maybe 16 touches or something. And basically like half of them were a progressive dribble or pass, you know, and he made some, and I think he maybe had a couple of key passes. I don't, I don't have that dialed in front of me, but overall it was just a really good performance in a very short period of time, of course, which you have to take with a caveat when anyone's coming in late in the game and the defense is tired and all that stuff, you know, I get that. So, you know, I, I'm not suggesting that Dante Sealy is going to start the next game, but, considering we had no idea what we were going to see for him to just be really positive and bright and active and making the team look much better when he came in. That's really good. We, we, that's awesome to see because it means he'll be a legit contributor over the rest of this season and hopefully even going forward. Uh, I'm just going to stop and give Dan a, an opportunity to throw in here. Any of your thoughts or anything? Cause you know, I was actually going to say, um, we talked a little bit about the guys that would go on loan to uh, or on a on a training camp at Bayern and then come back kind of with uh, big I bigger ideas and big egos, right? And that the uh, FC Dallas top brass didn't really like that. Um, that it was almost like coming back with a lack of professionalism. Whereas uh, you compare that to Dante Sealy, who uh, you know we we kind of know he was. Um, you know, maybe maybe had a, a bit of a, a a bigger opinion of where he should have been in relation to the team, and it, it sounds like he's come back the absolute consummate professional. I think that that's something that should be applauded. Well, that is good. Okay, see, this is all feeling a little bit better. We're grasping yeah, at straws, yeah. maybe a little bit, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, I, I guess the question is, do you expect to see Dante more immediately, or is this going to be the, the, the slow re-entry? No, I think you'll see more of him pretty quickly. Um, 
I, I don't think I, I wouldn't expect we'll, we'll do we'll do a possible lineup against Seattle later, but I don't I don't think you'd expect him to step right into the lineup. Um, but I think you could base how positive his contribution was and put him right into the mix with legitimate off bench threats. You know, like if you had everybody healthy, I think you could make a legitimate case that with with Obreon having turned cold again, that he would that Dante would be right there with that decision point of who am I going to bring in if I need somebody, if everyone's healthy again, then Jesus is back. So I'm talking about with a full team, you know, because you wouldn't expect O'Brien to be starting ordinarily, right? Just like I wouldn't expect Dante to be starting when you have guys making a million dollars across the front line. You're not going to start the 2200K homegrown, you know, but you would expect him to be, you know, pressing for those choices of, of threats to come in and, and be a bench threat. I think that'd be a really good spot for him. You know, uh, Areola is going on being 29 now. So the, the shelf life on him is not going to be eight years. It might be a couple of more seasons potentially. And you'd hope that Dante will be in the mix. And, you know, how long is Velasco going to be here? And those, those, those decisions will be made over the next couple of years. And you hope that uh, you see enough from Dante Sealy that he or Camungo or Indole are going to be involved in these choices about who you can let go and who you can keep. You know, when you have guys at this level of potential. So I, I do think that Dante, over the course of this season, will get to a place where you could start him and you might start him, depending on how quickly other guys get back into the flow of games and what comes up in the League Cup. Again, we'll talk about League Cup later, but um, I think he slots right into that competition and will press uh, Obreon for playing time going forward. Well, getting away from that, well, not too much getting away from the game, but on just kind of looking this more on a larger scale, Dallas is in a situation now where they have 29 points after playing 22 games, and based on how other results may play out tonight, us recording this on Wednesday, Dallas could be near to being knocked all the way down to the bottom right outside of 10th place. Minnesota's on 27 points. Uh, based on if Vancouver uh, wins tonight. So uh, when you when you look at that kind of dire situation, Buzz, the fact that the team has won one game in their last nine, and I don't even know where that falls in terms of the historic, uh, in terms of the record for this club, um, and all of the ongoing injury situations, I, I what I'm going to ask now is, is do you have an update on any of those injury situations? Is there a light at the end of the tunnel, my friend? Yeah, yeah, there is. Um, well, I talked to coach today and uh, about a lot of these injuries and where guys are, and, and I can fill you in a little bit on form too, which I think matters. Uh, Martinez is back in training, Jose Martinez. Uh, he looks perfectly normal for him to me. He looks just like he always does. So I don't see any signs of whatever it was that got him out. I think it was something in his knee. So he seems to be okay. He rotated in with um, Nikosi and and uh, and uh, Ibiaga today, you know, for choices as who could be in the starter again. So we're just back to normal with him, I think. Um, Paxton was running on the side and doing cutting work, which is kind of the last step before they let you back in training. If he comes to that, okay. He was working his tail off. Credit to him. We had a chuckle about how much harder it is to rehab than it is to actually just to train normally. Um, Tuomasi was jogging on the, around the field. So that, you know, puts him about a week away probably from, <clears throat> excuse me, from being back in training. Jimenez is out probably for another week in terms of 
coming back out and running. Coach said next week he'll start to run and jog. So that probably, if I had to guess, puts him about two or three weeks away from being able to participate, which is not that important, really, honestly. Areola, however, is 100% back in training, and by which I mean he did the whole session. I don't mean that he's 100% because he honestly hasn't played since early May, and he looks like it. He looks like a guy who just showed up for spring training. You know, he looks about 90% to me of his usual form. So I think that I think he'll make the trip for Seattle. I think he'll be on the bench for Seattle, but I think if he gets in, it's only going to be like to try and build his fitness. I don't know that you would like look at what I saw in training and think to yourself, that's a guy that's going to make a difference right now for my team. Cause I don't think based on what I watched today, that's not true. Now in a week or two, will it be I, uh, sure? I think you'll get Ariel back to his beginning of the season form. Will he be back to last season's form? That's a, that's a different question, but I'm just talking about his basic ability to move. You know, he's moving and, and fully healthy, but that's not the same as, you know, you remember when passing came back and the first couple of times I saw him, he's like, oh, he's 80%. Now he's 90%. You know, that's what it's like. It's like he's not moving like he was before. So mm. it's going to be a while for him. And then the last one like, was Corsi, who just got this concussion. So he was out for that. And then, and then Velasco, knock on wood, just got a day off today for rest. So he should be hey. fine. Uh, Dan, I'm interested in your opinion. If you could have any player back that's been missing due to injury, not Jesus, because obviously he'd be the first probably five people you'd pick out of the list <laughs> of missing parts. Uh, who do you think Dallas needs back most desperately? Ooh. Ooh. Mm. Mm. Stump the Englishman. Mm. Yeah. Um, I, I think... I'm always going to go for Paxton. He can kind of make things happen on both sides of the ball. Um, you know, you're not, you know, you can look at our Ariola and uh, Leggett as this season's kind of abysmal form or, or last season's effectiveness. Uh, Jesus Jimenez, I mean, we're, we're still kind of waiting for him to do anything. Um, yeah, I think I think it's, I think it's Paxton. Yeah. Uh, Buzz, do you have an, a different opinion? Um, if, if you, if you mean, if you mean back and like back to their actual legit full form, I would say Areola because they're absolutely desperate for somebody else to score yeah. a goal or two, you know, where a, a fully healthy packs, uh, legit or, or fully formed legit or a fully formed and healthy Seeky can do a lot of the same things Paxton can do, which is not to say that I'm not a huge fan of Paxton, but in terms of what is really ailing this team, it's somebody, anybody to do anything except for Jesus in front of goal. And so that's more, to me, Areola than it would be anything else. You know, we're at that kind of, uh, this is pretty normal when you have these kind of negative runs, even when it's obvious that there are extenuating factors, injuries, national team call-ups, et cetera, that at some point, uh, the pitchforks and torches uh, start to get taken out of the closet and prepared yeah. for yeah. The, the the mass riot. And so I'm interested, Buzz, in hearing you on your opinions this far into his second year and ha as Nico as a coach. Like, yeah, where, where do you sit with him? No, same as last year. Actually, I think he. Um goes incredibly deep on the planning, you know, on the, on the game planning and the, and the information that he gives them. I think he might actually almost go too far. Sometimes I think there's, there are occasions when you can simplify things, 
you know, like like the example would be that flex tactic they tried to do with uh, Junka and Corsa against Colorado. It's like, man, you're just you're just overthinking it. And now, granted, right now they're they know that they're in this losing streak and they're trying desperately to make some things happen and get some results in the middle of the streak when they know they're incredibly shorthanded. But I think that was a little overblown. I mean, Colorado, you know, had not won at home all year. I think even with the <laughs> no, roster you had, would mention that. Right. I mean, in the way they looked in the second half, I'm like, man, if you just played normal in the first half, I think you would have had them. You know, I don't think you needed to do all that. So I, I think he tends to overcook it just a little bit. But at the same time, he has an attention to detail that I really like and a tactical desire to be advanced tactically that I really like. I mean, I like smart players, man. I don't like dumb players, you know, so I, I appreciate I know I'm talking about soccer smarts, not life smarts, you know, uh, uh, I don't like players that can't handle tactics or, or changes or switches or, you know, that drives me crazy, you know? Um, so I'm pretty okay with him. I, I did ask him, you know, like, look, I've been around and watched, you know, bad teams crater before and gets these stretch of losses and, and players start to tune out, you know, are you, are you feeling any of that? And he said, he said, no, everyone's really buying in because I think this is a, a different sort of circumstance because it's so clearly obvious that the problem is just all these injuries because particularly they all came at one particular position. And then, Hey, Seuss being such a massive, massive piece. We even talked today about like, has there ever, when was the last time they had a player this important? And I was like his dad and, and Nico suggested maybe Mario Diaz to which I said, well, he only was around for 50% of the game. So other than that, sure. You know, but that's the level Jesus is playing at. Mm -hmm. So when you're missing him and you're missing this, decimation of injuries and particularly like every linking midfielder you had and you're stuck playing 20 year olds or 18 year olds, excuse me, or, or triple sixes or, you know, there's just only so much you can do, you know? And, and I think they, there's a recognition in the team of what's happening. And so everyone's still buying in and trying their damnedest and they can now see that they're coming out of the back end of it. People are starting to get healthy. So I don't feel like he's losing the team at all. And I don't feel like, I'm losing any respect for the level of work he's doing because they're having coaches where I've started to not believe at some point, but you know, so far I still like the qualities to bring to the table. Coach Nico. Is there anything in particular that you feel like he does better in comparison to what we had previously with Lucci or worse for that matter? Well, he doesn't, he doesn't uh, preach like Lucci and he doesn't do the endless instructions in the game. Those are two things that Lucci did that drove me crazy. Um, I do think that he maybe over preps a little bit, you know, sometimes particularly when you have young players or players that aren't used to playing at quite as high a level. He has a very high tactical acumen and, you know, and, and a desire to play at a very high tactical level. And sometimes I'm not sure with these rosters that we have in this league and, and just the general state of players in this league, that that's necessarily going to be possible. You know, you, it, you have to recognize, I think sometimes that you have, rookies that have played hardly any games at a very poor level, you know, and you can't ask them to play the, the, the flex center back to outside flip floppy kind of, it's just too much, you know, and there've been other occasions other than this one recently that that's happened. So it's just, you know, that, that probably would be my biggest complaint is the overcooking of it sometimes. And sometimes you can just be simple. You know, I, I remember a, a game earlier in the year where I, I can't remember which exactly when it was, but we talked about, I talked about how he lost the game on the lineup sheet, you know, I, I, and I'm, I'm not drawing a blank on which game it was now, but it was clear as day to me that like when the lineup came out, I was like, Oh, this one's going down. And that's what happened. You know? And so that's the, the tendency to overthink about that. So does Greg Bearholder, not Greg, you know, so 
and he's one of his guys. So it's not surprising that he has that school of thought, that overcooked school of thought. Okay. Uh, I'm trying to figure out the best way to do this. Why don't we do this? Why, since you went to training today, yeah. I know everybody's waiting for you to deliver on your promise in your podcast teaser mm. uh, social media output that you put earlier today. There's a new guy in town. Ansa is here. He trained with the team. This, yep. is, this is the thing everybody loves. Buzz, what's your <laughs> instant reaction to the new guy? Well, he's okay. Uh, <laughs> oh he's, no yeah well listen we, we told everybody ahead of time that like at where he was coming from he was not going to be this revelation it's not like you know the first time you see some players that you're just blown away he didn't blow me away but it's not like the first time i saw cobra where, where 10 seconds in i was like oh no and then i said okay wait i'm gonna wait a couple minutes and then 10 three or four minutes later i was like oh no and it got worse and worse and worse as the first session went on it's not like that. Or the first time I saw Frank O'Hara, when I watched him run, I thought, oh, man, I could beat that dude in a foot race. I mean, I can't, <laughs> but it's true. It, it looks like it when you wa watch Wait, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. I want to go through this. What was the your action first time you saw Jetterson? Uh, I, I think I, I don't remember. It was, that was a long time ago. I do remember one time when I, I went and saw a training, and Dallas was going to have this guy in from some country like Panama or something as a trialist. And I watched him, I watched training. And I was like, man, the little guy in the middle is super nifty. That is that the trialist? I really liked him. And they're like, no, that's Ramon Nunez. He's 15. And I was like, oh my goodness. So, you know, you can have funny things like that happen. But um, yeah, you know, look, I talked to coach and, this, and he's, he played up again that talk that they, they wanted a guy who could play the nine and the wing. And he did that today. He played both. Um, he's not as uh directly like sprinter vertical as um Obreon, for example he is much better on the ball than Obreon. Oh, thank um, Jesus. yeah he he looks like he's got a decent touch he's not he's not like velasco kind of super nifty tricky he does have a more of a vertical sort of slasher kind of vibe to him um I'll tell you the person he most reminded me of, and you're going to think I'm crazy because I hated this guy, but, but it's actually Roland Lamar. Well, he reminded me of Roland Lamar a little bit. Now, hey, granted, Lamar scored a lot of goals. Yeah. So granted, <laughs> I saw the guy in a, in a full field drill for like 20 minutes. So that's not the same as watching him in a big game. You know, I'm just talking about skills I saw on display in small side of drills. And then for 20 minutes in this other drill, you know, I got, he gave me Roland Lamar vibes. So, like I said, just, you know, okay, not Man. didn't blow me away, but not trash. Listen, sometimes the guys come in and they're just utter trash. Right. This guy looks like, okay, maybe there's a little bit there. This might actually be useful. So, But don't expect him to blow you away. When you see him, you're going to be like, I, I guarantee you there's going to be people that are going to think he sucks the instant they see him just because the kind of he's kind of lanky and long-legged, you know, that kind of Lamar, like long-gated running, yeah. you know what I'm talking about, where yep. people might be like, this guy looks terrible. You know, but that's kind of for me, that was a good analogy in terms of like what I was seeing today. And, and if he can have I couldn't stand Lamar because he was a black hole on the field. The ball comes in, doesn't come out. He just shoots it or he turns it over. Right. But he did score some cracker goals. And so hopefully, like when we see this guy in big field play, we'll feel good about how he plays in a big team concept. But like, you know, the basic skills I saw on display were comparable. And Lamar was a solid player on a lot of levels, you know, not a game breaker, but, you know. Not bad. So that's what I saw. Dan, you were, I thought I heard you try to start to say something. 
Um, as Buzz said, uh, I saw a black hole. I, yeah, for some reason, you know, when you think you're about to see a car crash and you're like, oh, <laughs> that, that was, that was that moment. Yeah. So, uh, no, I was saying, Buzz saying about, uh, first impressions at training. I remember one, I think it was when, I think it was, it was back when, when Buzz was, uh, in New Orleans, but, um, they had this. Norwegian fella who'd been playing in the Polish league on trial and he just got in like that day staying at the hotel uh the, the little comfort suites and I remember all, all the the few media that was there that day were kind of like see this this uh really tall guy with long hair and a, and a huge beard uh looks like a real viking and uh you know having a chat with him after the game. It's like, oh, the hotel's very nice, very nice. But the guy is absolutely, he's he's melting. He is slowly, actually, there was nothing slow about it. He was he was dying <laughs> with the heat. And so I just remember, I remember coming away thinking like, poor sod, by the time he gets used to the heat, his trial is over and he's already back home. <laughs> there was a kid from Ireland once that came in on a trial and he only lasted one session. And he was so bad, he tried to walk back to his hotel. And this was that blue sky. He tried to walk all the way down to 121 to like where the big hotel was uh, down oh, there, wow. like in his soccer gear. He didn't even bother to change. He just like that... started walking. And Bobby Hammond had to chase him down in his car and get him to come back. How is that not on the list? <laughs> I, I don't Well, it was just a trialist. <laughs> but yeah, well, if, we have to get Bobby get Hammond to give us some more information on that one if you want to go on the list. But it's a pretty epic meltdown that he, after one day, they basically were like, yeah, never mind. Thanks yeah. for coming. I did, I did see an English kid come in on trial with the first team and about half an hour into the session, they just told him to go train with the under-18s instead. Oh. Oh, 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 oh. Wow. Oof. Who was the guy that showed up drunk? Oh. Uh, Jose Salvatierra. <laughs> yeah. Who? <laughs> Jose Salvatierra. He uh, went on to play for Costa Rica's national team, I think. Wow. Goodness. Uh, all right. Well, well that, that's up there with Annabelle Chala, who Oscar Preja hated so much, he told him to go home and rehab instead of sticking around <laughs> Dallas. And then told the team he could never bring him back. He said, you're never bringing that guy back. Uh, well, that will take us to previewing the game Saturday. Remember, it's out in Seattle, so it starts late. I think it starts at 8th. Uh, no, 9.30 uh, on Apple TV, Jim Jam. So, Buzz, what are you thinking? Who's going to be available? What's the lineup going to look like? I yeah. doubt Jesus is back in time, even though the team lost tonight. Yeah, I mean, there's a chance that Jesus could come up, I'm sure, and he probably will. Um, but I can't imagine you, you, the coach would. this coach would start him coming off of 220-minute games. I just can't see it. Um, as long as Velasco's fine, he'll go. Uh, the other wing was back to normal today. Um, saw various versions, not Sam Junka is what I mean, and not Legette either. Saw various versions of guys like um, Dante Seeley and O'Brown was out there for a little bit, you know, on the wing. He also played some at nine, you know, so that, that kind of has been the thing lately is Seeley at the nine, you know, not Seeley, I'm sorry. Let me make sure I get that right. O'Brien at the nine and guys like Bernie and Seeley or even Siki and Sebeling on, on the wing. Um, I saw a lot of that today because Velasco was missing. So he, you know, he played wing in college. So they moved him up there 
today and used him kind of in that same false wing style as Velasco sort of to keep the styles the same, you know? So that's a possibility, particularly like late, if you wanted to sub him on maybe for Velasco, that kind of thing. So I honestly think that they're looking more of a traditional wing on the right. Um, you know, Mulata was back today. I'm not that he was gone, but at least he was out there training. So he's obviously in the mix. So I would imagine it'll be Obreon and then either um, Camungo or um, Sealy might actually be the starting on the other wing, which is amazing. I don't think it would be Seeky, but maybe it will be Seeky. That's that's a big mystery spot, frankly. Um, and then midfield, I think you're looking at the, the double um, Facundo-Edwin thing continuing. Um, Paxton, I don't think, will be available. So, you know, oh, that no. probably will go back to Legette, actually, I would imagine, as the third piece in there with those two guys. Yeah. Because Paxton was doing cutting on the side, right? So I don't know that he would, you know, train Thursday and then be in the mix. Even if he does get to train Thursday, he may not get to train Thursday. So we'll, we'll see on that. Um, and then the, the defense is pretty standard. It's Farfan. I'm sure it'll be Nicosi and Ibiaga again, even though Martinez is back. Um, and then right back was a mix of people like Giovanni Jesus was back in training and looks fine. So he could easily start again and probably is the most obvious choice. But Endale and Junka both played over there as well. So, And then Paz is a no-brainer. So your, your, your question marks are right back and right wing, really. Otherwise, it's pretty obvious that you'll, they'll continue with what they have been doing. Um, now, could Ansa start? I don't, I don't think so. Um, you know, th this coach is not, it's big on integration and we kind of talked about it a little bit and, uh, he was kind of saying that they'll probably take him with them and then trying to decide based on like whatever they do Thursday and Friday, they might decide if he's okay for the bench, you know, maybe bring him in possibly that way. But I, I think that sort of leaves him out as starting this weekend, um, as a possibility. So I think you're still going to see Obreon and, um, and then and one of the young guys at the right wing, probably um, because they did they did pretty well when they came in against Colorado. So I think that's probably the bet, you know, because Seattle is turf, I believe. So yep. unless they changed something when I wasn't looking. So no, it's turf. And yeah, Seattle, so. by the way, are coming off back to back wins and beating on the road at Vancouver and Houston. Uh, they've only lost once in their last five games, and that was a road game uh, at LAFC. Yeah. So, uh, well, if you know, if, you, if, if you're looking for a little verticality out of Obreon and then you're going to try and have Velasco in his off wing style sort of come underneath and exploit that, it probably makes sense to have somebody on the right wing, too, with the, the different style, the, also the more sort of vertical style, which leads you to the to the, the Obreon or the not the Obreon, excuse me, to the Camungo or Sealy, perhaps over there. I, maybe maybe they will start Sealy. That'd be amazing for him to come in and start that quickly. Uh, I would more likely think maybe Bernie, but. Uh, coach also, I noticed coach really wanted to up play Endelay to me today and how good he's having. And then the team put out a video on him. So I wonder maybe if they're all trying to get everybody for the fact that Endelay might start because he did play in the second half versus Colorado over on that right wing backy midfield position where, where Junka had been. So the, basically, there's three guys at that spot. So it'll kind of be, you know, this coach likes to decide the last minute, sometimes even like the day of. So it's hard to really write anything in stone with all that going on. All right. Well, uh, we got a request from Buzz's Patreon, which, by the way, before we finish this podcast, I will be reading uh, from the Discord, which is something you get oh, access no. to uh, if you uh, participate in the Patreon. The best of the list of 
names for pets oh. that are tied to FC Dallas burn players. Okay. It's fantastic. So right. that'll happen before we finish this Teaser. episode yeah, of yeah. the book. So, uh, all right, let's talk about this request that we got, uh, Buzz. It, the question, I don't know who sent this. You didn't write that on the run sheet. I did not. Okay, it is, are there any silver linings? This is where we've gotten. Here's where we're at, mid-July. Are there any silver linings? Anything to be happy about or anyone to praise, Buzz? Yes. Well, the question is from Ross. I, I'll say his last name just in case he didn't want to put that question out there. Um, yeah, there are some things. Uh, the things that make me excited are, I think, Nikosi Tafari has established himself as the guy uh, and a frontline MLS starter and maybe even one of the top uh, center backs in the league. Still has room to grow and can still be better, of course, but that's pretty exciting. Um, Martin Paz is 100% legitimate. The problem there is going to be keeping hold of him, actually. Um, although he seems to love being an American, so being here, so that's pretty cool. He's legitimately fantastic. Uh he was getting worked on with his feet today, which is his weak spot. So that's always good to see Drew Keyshawn working on people's weak spots. Um, I do think that as the as this season's going gone on, we've gone to see we started to see one or two young guys get a little more playing time, and maybe it's because of injuries. But uh, you know, there there are some young guys that they're they're not teenagers, but they're young-ish, and they're starting to get a, some minutes, and they're showing promise. Whether it be the guys we've talked about already, Indole and and um, uh, Bernie, Bernie's looks terrific. Um, and Sealy coming back, whether it be, um, uh, I, I want to call Paxton a young guy, but he's almost not now, but it's hard to remember that he's still only like 22 or 23 or whatever he is. It feels like he's been here a thousand years. He and Jesus are the two longest tenured players in this club, by the way, which is amazing. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously Jesus is exciting. Um, we'll probably should talk about that whole bit later more too. Um, I would, I'm, I'm particularly excited today to hear that maybe Alan Vasco's pretty happy here, actually, uh, which is fantastic to, if that's true. And I hope it's true. So that's good because that, if that kid gets, I, I think with him, it's just a case of people figured out he doesn't have a left foot, you know, and there's not really any other threats. And so he's getting all the attention. I think once things open back up for him, I think it'll be fine when Jesus comes back. And, and, and so those things are, I think, good to be excited about. You know, Farfan's a pretty good player. You know, uh, Giovanni, I think when he gets his head screwed on a little bit better in terms of his defensive work, I think he'll be a pretty good player. You know, the, there's some quality around this team, you know, that, that makes it, that keeps it in the top half of the Western Conference. I still think it's missing something in terms of getting over the top, but um, it could be a really exciting team in the playoffs if everyone gets healthy, you know. Time will tell, especially uh, as they get out of the summer, because as we were talking about in the same Discord, going back and forth, kind of trying to track the worst months for this team. It, uh, you know, they're right in the meat of all what has historically always been the hardest time uh, for this club. Yeah, for twenty-eight the, years. The thing about the other collapses, though, is that most of them are like two thousand three, when the team was out South Lake and completely horrible. There's the the collapse of 2017 when they put they went all in on the Champions League and then with a bunch of old dudes and then when they got eliminated those guys all burned out over the back half of the season and they collapsed. There's almost always like an extenuating circumstance and in, and in this case too there's an extenuating circumstance of these injuries you know and the timing of it and the timing of Jesus being yeah. gone and so there's always a reason when you have these big losing streaks. Thankfully, the one right now isn't the team sucks. And they have a bunch of bad players. That's not what it is. It's just 
the, the lack, the way MLS works with the salary cap, how top heavy teams are and how much they lack depth, which is the thing, you know, Peter, that would just kill them in any like big major league in the world. That's what would destroy them is their lack of top to bottom roster depth. You know, it's the, this cap league is the way it is. And so teams get, when you miss a couple of guys, you're screwed. So, mm -hmm. you know, it is, you can get out of it if you get all your players back. And so I think that's really what it is. And I'm not too worried about it in the big picture. All right. Next on the run sheet. Uh, do we have to do this? I mean, only that it's a news item. If you don't have much to say about it, you can. Well, I mean, it's just, you know, I'd rather talk about abortion and gun rights than promotion relegation. <laughs> um, yeah. So uh, Tom Bogert yesterday or somebody, I think, from The Athletic uh, put out word that US, the USL which is USL one, which is tier two and US or sorry, USL C, which is tier two and USL one, which is tier three yep. alongside MLS next uh, are voting internally to then further investigate the opportunity of converting to a promotion relegation structure, which got everybody all excited. <laughs> and yeah. it's like, Whoa, wait a second. This isn't something they're talking about starting next season and all the other parts of this, uh, I don't know where else to go with that without getting stuck yeah. in the mud. Well, mainly I was just curious if you think which way you think that they'll go. You think the owners? I, I would. Know. I would love for them to do it, but I think uh, I think promotion relegation like that. Let's put it this way: whether the, whether USL is able to get uh, certification as a top flight league or not, I, I think. It would be great for them to be able to accomplish this. I think it would put uh, everybody's money where their mouth is, to, for lack of a better phrase, and we'll just see how great this is or how great it not is. Uh, but I find it to be completely predictable how this will play out. Um, all the way from uh, probably starting with the fact that uh, it, because it's not this one thing throughout the entire country, everybody's complaining about the lack of promotion relegation will immediately then convert to uh, quality of play and then complaining that, well, because MLS isn't participating in it, now USL can't get the best players, which seems counterintuitive because all those same people tend to talk about how crappy MLS is, so why do you want any of those players in the first place? So it's just, yeah. I just think the whole thing playing itself out is extremely predictable. Yeah, the, the the take that my favorite take that I saw was that um, oh, it's not real pro promotion relegation if it's not all the leagues. If it's just inside your own business model or whatever, then it's not. I was like, I don't know how that tracks at all. And the second thing is that the idea that the same people that think there should be promotion relegation here are the same ones that think every player should be in Europe. So it's like, yeah, go I mean, ahead, Dan. The, the thing is, like those same people. Um, they they have a very fuzzy view of of what thing of like how things play out. You know they talk about the openness of of the system in other nations. They kind of neglect the knowledge that it took ninety years of the English football system as we know it today to actually institute promotion and relegation the whole way. Uh, you know it was a limited promotion relegation system with elections at the bottom of it because you know it was deemed that the pyramid wasn't strong enough to support it and there was self-interest in, key in keeping certain clubs in certain places um 
you know, we been there's a lot of talk about the uh, Lubbock Matadors getting like two to five thousand fans in a game, right? So if you say, okay, they're the fourth, you know, MPSL fourth tier. So you're talking about systems where that would be a professional standard. Two to five thousand people doesn't keep the lights on. So then you have to ensure that your actually your Ryan Reynolds, your Rob McElhenney's, and whoever they've got to, to help foot the bill that they have to be interested in those lower levels of of American soccer, which doesn't get the same uh, FX uh, viewers that mm-hmm. that Wrexham does, for example. I mean, it's just you know it, we we talk about. You know, a lot of people talk about the the higher end of things, and you know, my beloved Hatters are going to be one of those stories this year, right? About how Luton went from the uh, the conference to the Premier League in ten years. That's great, but they're not going to talk about a start in a season on minus thirty points because we couldn't get out of a company voluntary agreement, which nearly got us liquidated. They're not going to talk about the two or three times before that where we were literally minutes from being liquidated before a a last minute bid came in to buy the team they're not going to talk about the 2600 clubs that went under in england last year or the 8000 clubs that are still in danger of going under right now they're just going to talk about leicester winning the league and and loot and getting promoted the Hatters are a great example of one other thing too, which is the stadium and infrastructure requirements as you move up divisions. And even in the United States, our divisional tiers have stadium and media requirements. And these teams that are operating in USL one or uh, you know at that division three that you want to talk about moving up and down to division two or teams in USL championship that are talking about they want to move to division one. Well, you're having to talk about spending hundreds of millions of dollars to get them facilities that would match up with division one facilities you know it just doesn't it i think people want to have this open and complete you know promotion and relegation thing because they want their little personal team that they've created to be able to march all the way up to the first division like they think that that's going to happen and that's what they really want not the idea that like that there's a dichotomy to me between the idea that the end of the season relegation battle is what makes players good and yet, these are the same people that feel like everybody in the national team should play in the Champions League. There's a complete disconnect there between those two things, in my opinion. Well, I think everybody should just keep an eye on it, and nobody should read anything in the last 48 hours of this week and come away with it with this idea that that's happening anytime soon, even if they, uh, even if the vote that they're taking goes positively. It's yeah. uh, just a vote to have a, an agreement that they're going to investigate it further. Uh, my favorite comment out of it, though, is I'm sure the people that just finished building that kick-ass stadium for in Louisville are looking forward to getting relegated to yeah. USL One. <laughs> well, the the people that paid 25 million to get into the USL Championship compared to the people that played a million to get into the USL One are not going to be happy about getting relegated either. Just like the people that paid 500 million for MLS would not be happy about it. You yeah. know, everything's relative. Whatever it is you pay to get in the league, you're in in this country. Is not going to be. You're not going to be happy that you've paid that money for nothing. I mean, you can imagine it, like going from playing Atlanta in front of seventy thousand people one year to playing in front of a thousand in El Paso the next. I mean, yeah. Well, and, and we, you know, I, I think it's fairly safe to say uh, that the three of us would would love there to be like a full system. But the if you're going to build a pyramid, it's only as strong as the base, and the base just isn't there right now. 
Uh, on the yep. tw- on Saturday the 29th, at least tentatively scheduled on the kick around on that Saturday, we are going to have in studio both Kent Teague, uh, Duncanville's own Kent Teague, who currently is the owner of Leighton Orient, which ha- in the time that since he's been owner, they've gotten promoted out of the Conference League and they just won League Two and they're in League One starting this season. And the other is Drew Volpe, who is an SMU graduate who lives in the Dallas area, and he is the owner of Woking, which is a club that plays in the National League. That's where my mom was born. Uh, uh, right? I'm sorry. What? That's where my mom was born. Okay. And uh, that and and so they're and and Andy and I have had dinner with both those guys. Uh, a couple of times and listening to their perspective about promotion relegation uh, as they experience it over in England versus their opinions of its application in the United States, I think is the definitive um, uh, uh, opinion on this on the subject uh, that anybody should listen to because those are the guys that have actually gone out and spent literally millions of dollars <laughs> of their own pocket money to uh, invest in these clubs in England and and their opinions about attempting to do that over here I think are fascinating so there's a little promotion from my radio show could, Buzz I hope you don't mind uh, could, we're having them on on the 29th can I give you one little uh, snippet from a little bit below those two levels, right? So, you know, I I worked for a decade in the semi in semi semi pro levels in England, and the best part of the season, honestly, was well, sorry, the best being uh, very used sarcastically when you get the league constitution, which happens in June, which tells you who's going to play where. <clears throat> the several clubs that inevitably go, mm, we can't afford those travel costs. We wanted to play here, so we're just gonna pull out. Then, when you get all the announcements, okay, if we've rejigged the leagues, these are now your fixtures. Halfway through the season, when someone's record gets expunged, and then even if that's in a league the opposite end of the country, they have to reprieve certain clubs because you cannot just say, oh, we'll promote more from below. Uh, if there's 10 teams going to go down across a bunch of divisions and two of those go bust, uh, then then two more that were going to go down get, get saved effectively uh, to make up the numbers. Doing the points per games calculations across, uh, and when you get down to the sort of like eighth tier leagues, you're talking about 12 to 15 divisions. Uh, that you're doing these points per game calculations across to figure out who fits certain slots and um, you know if there's even a need for like a, a single game playoff to save those. Uh, those, you know, there's there's kind of a harsh reality to it all, and uh, I'm sure that that those two guys have have experienced, you know, the the levels that we've seen more in the public eye, the the berries, the Macclesfields, the older shots. Oh yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean. Yeah, it's 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 kind of nuts. Uh, every year, I, I mean, I remember sitting there, kind of going, "Ah, oh, shit, we got relegated," and then the next day, oh, we didn't get relegated because four teams went bust. Yeah, I I talk about this a lot, which is I I I find it frustrating that the American soccer culture seems to only pay attention to the romantic side of promotion relegation. And what we never talk about in this country is the absolute misery that relegation 
depends on a club. Uh, and really, ultimately, I mean, I, I think we've talked about it on this. I think the Wrexham story is a great example of what I'm talking about, which is the television show really loves to romanticize Wrexham in that town and the and the and the club's ascension back up the ladder. But what is not being paid enough attention to is the absolute misery that fan base has been put through in the last generation and a half because a bunch of knuckleheads came in and tried to suck the financial soul out of the place before Robin Ryan showed up. And that's all a byproduct of the promotion relegation system. And and that just doesn't get talked about enough over here. And when you try to apply that kind of thinking as to how Americans treat their pro sports leagues and their pro sports teams, hell, when a, when a team in any league is playing poorly for an extended period of time, people stop going to games. Can you imagine how Americans will treat these clubs if they're not even playing in the top flight league in the country anymore? It just, it's so predictable. I, uh, I, I definitely, I, uh, have a lot of sympathy for Wrexham fans. Like the overblown stuff is, it, it annoys a lot of people, but I remember going to a game, ooh, this is probably 15, nearly 20 years ago. Wrexham were about to go bust. They were like t- literally three days from from being wound up by the high court over unpaid debts. They came to Luton. I think I think we beat them. Um, but their fans never watched a the game. They'd traveled all the way. They did the conga through the stand for 90 minutes. Because for them, it was that was the last time they were going to get to see their team. Yeah, that was the last time they were going to get to have that atmosphere. And you've seen on the show, it's a it's a it's a small place. It's a very community focused place. You know that good for them that they get to now like kind of celebrate the good side of it. And I really hope that they, uh, you know, understand like the the privilege of the situation the same way. You know, I I feel very privileged to now say that I support a Premier League team because ten years ago I supported a team that was losing one nil to teams that were barely not but uh, that were barely full time. Yeah, it it can happen at the Premier League level too. There was quite a few articles I read about Everton that said if they would have gotten relegated, that 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 club would have been liquidated. It would not have survived going down because of the stadium. Portsmouth nearly went bust in the Premier League. Yeah, uh, back yeah. in what. 2009-ish. And I think all of this conversation between the three of us isn't to shit on promotion relegation as a structure. It does have its merits, and it has it has a really cool quality to it that we're missing in terms of sports here in the United States. I, I just... I, I just think people too easily in this country get talked into why it would improve things here without really understanding the entirety of a its own history across the globe b how it's actually instituted currently in different countries in different regions of the of the planet earth and see some of the, just the practical realities of how business works in our country is just fundamentally different from the rest of the world and that's where i think it becomes problematic but yep We'll see. There you go, Buzz. Yeah. Thank you. Silver linings. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's a good talk. I appreciate it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, something will happen eventually. I don't doubt it. Some some form of it, one way or the other, but whatever it is probably won't make everybody happy. Mm-hmm. But 
nothing ever does. Okay. Uh, well, we Buzz? have one more fan request. Oh, fan yeah. request. Yes, yes, yeah. yes. Some, somebody wanted us to talk about the, I don't remember who it was, Reggie's comment that Jesus needs to go to Europe. Whether we, th- whether I thought that was true or not, or have some context about that kind of statement from somebody like Reggie, who is over there now playing there in Europe. Okay. Would you guys got to comment on that, perhaps? Well, we actually talked about this on the radio show on Saturday, and I thought I do think Reggie truly believes that, but it's all a byproduct of of the situation because it's it's ironic to me that Reggie of all people is making that recommendation when he made that move and it did nothing but hurt his career. Yeah, that is, there is an irony to that. Um, Which you know, by the way, isn't tied specifically to moving to Europe. It's tied because he made a hasty move to a really crummy club that ended up screwing him. Well, that's what we always say about moves to Europe is that it has to be the right situation. And sometimes it's hard to know what is, you know, I, I always say that it's important that the coach wants you and not the owner because the coach is the one that's going to pick you to play or not. But the the thing about getting better is, is that you can get better in a league where you're the dominant player. You know, most of our American leagues are the pinnacle of whatever sport they play. And we have guys in those leagues, they get better all the time. They, they go from being good players to great players and all across American sports, you know, you don't, walk in at 22 or 20 or 16 or 18 or, or whatever it is, and then be the same guy at 28. You can get better playing against the league that you're dominating. Now you can also get better against playing guys that are better than you. Those, those are both true. So I don't, I don't ever believe that someone needs to go to Europe. If you go to Europe and don't play like when, when Brian Reynolds went to Roma and did not play, Brian Reynolds didn't get any better for that first year because he didn't play. When Brian Reynolds went to Westerlo and started playing, okay, now we're watching him play, and now you're getting back into the national team picture again. So, again, you can't throw it. I don't think you can throw down this universal just go to Europe. Look at Pepe who went to a team in Europe and played, but it was a team that didn't fit his style. It was a team that didn't have service. Pepe is a player that needs service. People talk about how bad he was there. It's like, man, that team has like four assists on the year. Nobody on that team passes the ball to a striker. They sit back and they and they pack a box in. It's like Pepe was never going to score there. That was a terrible decision to go to that club. Of course, he made a whole crap ton of money. So who am I to say that? I'm just saying that like I don't I don't buy this universal go to Europe. There's everyone's path is different. You know, there's lots of ways to get better. Jesus is young. Would I love to see him playing at a big, huge, awesome club and playing a lot? Yeah, that'd be cool. But you know, not everybody gets the same path and the same thing and there's a whole bunch of leagues down in Europe that aren't nearly as good as MLS or are the same as MLS, you know, and his money, his salary is gonna make it hard for him to move, honestly. Well yeah. I think I think you kind of just said it right there. There's there's a bunch of leagues that aren't necessarily better than MLS. And I didn't I didn't see or the 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 specific quote on on Jesus. I did see the part about when uh, Reggie was asked about playing in Portugal. He didn't say it was better. He said it was more intense. Okay, great. Pace of play is different in every single league. That's kind of just a, a you know a fact of life, and it's those adversities that can make a player better. Playing in a different system, playing in a different role, playing under a different coach. So yeah, it's, it's definitely not a, not a blanket statement, um, particularly at a striker, a, a confidence position. Right, if you know he's not going to improve his finishing by 
by going to another country. He's going to maybe pr- uh, improve his on-the-ball runs, maybe his off-the-ball runs, because his tactical awareness. But the the core thing that people complain about with Jesus Ferreira is those you know those chances that, that he doesn't score. That's not going to improve. That's you know, the, there's the stuff he does well, the off the ball runs, the getting in good positions. That's the sort of stuff he's he's going to improve if he goes elsewhere with the adversities he's going to face against bigger defenders, stronger defenders, faster defenders. Yeah, let's not, let's be real about Jesus's finishing. He is one of the most clinical finishers this club's ever had. Yes. We've talked about his shot on target to shot ratio and his goal to shot on target ratio. He consistently performs above xg last season it was almost two to one i think this year he's doing it again so he is a clinical finisher this team is a low chance creating team that he currently plays in so dan's right it's like you're not going to make him a better finisher he's already pretty damn good it would be the other things that he would learn to play in a much higher advanced technical system you know steve uh, steve davis had a tweet earlier about it if you think and this was before he scored tonight actually no it was it was it was in reaction to him scoring tonight sorry um, if you think he's a a poor finisher, then how did he score 18 goals last year? How is he uh, 10 goals in a little over half of the season, scoring what, 50, uh, 40-something percent of FC Dallas's goals? How did he score seven goals at the Gold Cup, tying him with, uh, I think it was Dempsey, Dempsey for most goals in a Gold Cup for a U.S. men's national team? He is you know, currently three goals ahead of anyone else in the current tournament. He is a good finisher. Yes, he will miss a he will miss an absolute sitter. And there have been some great players that will miss a sitter and then they will go and score an absolute worldie. The thing is his his ratio is is a lot better than most. Yeah. He he moves on quick. It's a goldfish as uh they would say on Ted Lasso. Which yeah, I mean that's that's that is a valuable asset as a striker, a confidence position somewhere. You know, you don't want to be the. Ah, uh, oh crap! Who was it? Uh, come on, come on! Yeah, yeah you know, because he he got he got down because he was missing chances. All right. Well, um, I'm just glad to see Jesus back in a burn jersey. Frankly, <laughs> all right. On the run sheet next, uh, North Texas signed a kid. Yeah, Dylan Lacey out of the academy. Um, you know, that, I don't know that we need to go deep on him or anything, but it's important because uh, he's a he's a player straight out of the academy who obviously was not on par for a homegrown deal, but is this slight tweener, just a little bit off of that level. Really talented player. I'll sign him to a straight North Texas deal. This is the same kind of deal that um, Shabron Rayo and Emmanuel Almaguer had. You know, Dallas has missed on some a lot of these guys who've been more interested in going to college. This kid was more interested in, in being with North Texas, and that's great. You know, he's a young young player with a little bit of talent, so hopefully, uh, we see progression from him. You know, he actually came out of uh, Philadelphia Union and Red Bull system. He was with Philadelphia for five or six years, and then was at Red Bull for maybe one or two before he came here as a U19. Again, another example of a player where Dallas keeps a U19 team and other teams don't, and so he came here just for this. You know little over a season, maybe a season and a half, and uh, and they saw enough of him to offer him a North Texas deal, and he jumped on it. So that's nice. It's good for the progression of this team, path, path, pathway to the pros and all that. Nice kid, too. Yeah. They call him Shaggy because he's got he looks like Shaggy with the hair and everything. Hmm. 
and I guess that leads to this question, Buzz. Is there any chance uh, Dallas is going to sign anybody for the senior team, the actual MLS oh, team? Is that yeah. going to is that anything like that happening? I don't I don't think so. Um, wow. I, I, I was I've been doing a lot of roster figuring and trying to and, and as near as I can tell, the senior roster is full. So you kind of. Um, you know, with, with my roster, and we can't listen, this rule, this league is stupid with roster rules. You have to jump through some hoops if you wanted to add a player. Um, they, I think right now they're currently full on international spots, but there's a way to open some things up, you know, cheating with not cheating, cooking the books with North Texas or whatever. You could probably do something, but I don't, I really don't think that they're gonna, I think they're starting to get healthy. I think they're going to just sort of sit tight and hold tight on, on, um, what they've got, you know, other than the Anse coming in and Sealy, I think Sealy was kind of the one that surprised him, and they're like, "Oh, okay, we'll just do that." So, uh, I know it's not wow. what you wanted to hear, but no, it's disappointing. I mean, it just, uh, I, you know, somebody was asking me about this the other day, and it's like, well, Minnesota was fully loaded. How are they? Or not Minnesota? Miami was fully loaded. How are they able to move all these parts around to make space for all these, you know, world these top name stars that are incoming? And it just and. Uh, it's hard to explain the answer, yeah. but there is an answer there, um, and it's probably just not one that anybody wants to hear because I just don't think the hunts are wired that way to do that that yeah. that level of risk or you know it's not a it's not a function of effort it's it's just a business model. Well, basically, yeah, Miami's trading and buying out, and and they're they're basically trading DPs on the cheap. They're buying out one guy. They're they're getting rid of another guy who was like, I didn't know I could be traded. You know, and they're they're gutting their roster basically to make it happen. So I mean, Dallas could do that. Yes. I just don't think that they will. No. You know, and, and and some of the assets that Dallas has aren't maybe as tradable. Like let's just say, for example, you wanted to clear Jesus Jimenez's contract off the books or Sebastian Legette's contract off the books. Do you think anyone's going to give you anything for those guys? No. No one's going to want to eat those deals. No one's going to want those contracts. I mean, Dallas are, is eating. Jimenez's contract for Toronto, basically, right? Yeah, so. I, I mean, I, that is a, that is part of this conversation we haven't had about the season, and probably shouldn't until it fully plays out. But a lot of what is plaguing this team right now are some decisions they made last year in terms of Ariola and Legette, which just haven't played out uh, as well as they appeared to at the beginning when they first joined the team. Yeah, there's there's multiple guys that are getting paid, and you can just look at the top half of the roster. And look at how much guys get paid and look at how productive they are and think, are they playing up to that number? And you can go up and down the thing and look at almost anybody, you know, Martinez, Facundo, who's playing the best soccer that he has in Dallas, but yet is he still worth eight, 900K? Consider, like, for example, Coco Carasquia is on 500K for Houston. You know, uh, so Legette on basically a mil, Jimenez on 1.2. You know, Ariola's on one five and is having a not great season and injured. So you know, it, it's just a matter of. Uh, you could even point at the Obreon at you know three hundred, almost four hundred thousand as being not necessarily the amount of bang you should get for that buck. You know, th there are some steals like Paz is a steal at three hundred. You know, Ibiaga's at five hundred. I thought was an overpay, but he's played fairly well. I still don't think he's a frontline guy, but that's you know my thing, not the clubs necessarily that that contract turns out to be decent value, frankly, you know, it's just that there's been some whiffs along the way. And yet there's still, you know, until all these injuries happen, they were the fourth best team in the West all the time. So, you know, it's, it's, they need, it's all part of the process, right? When they hired the new coach, 
you know, they had guys for two or three more years that maybe you want to might get rid of eventually, but they haven't done any better because they're on the hook for Legette and Jimenez next year. You know, now maybe Legette will find his form again and then we won't be complaining, but you know, uh, Jimenez, I'm not optimistic. Legette, maybe cross your fingers. You'll get him back mm-hmm. going. All right. Well, that's all bummerific. Uh, and I want to end this pod on something fun and light. And well, we need uh, to talk about league cup. Oh, Christ. All right, let's talk about Lee, because that's not going to be a good conversation either, Buzz, is it? Yeah, well, no, it depends. I I talked to a coach about that today, and I just wanted to real quickly sum up what he said, which was basically like, within the context of any given games, yes, we would like to try and win the game, but we're not (laughs) going to sacrifice our season to win League's Cup, right? So they've overly relied on a couple of guys heavily during this run, so you're going to see some light rotation, you know, so giving some guys some game off. They're going to try and work guys back in that need time and need to get fit and get healthy. They're going to play a couple of young guys. It's not going to be like a wholesale, like bring North Texas, but it's not going to be 100% front line. Like you might see Jimmy, you might see a little more Martinez and a little less Nikosi, maybe Junko start instead of Farfan. You know what I mean? So like you're trying to get Lejet going, you're trying to get Ariel going. Maybe you'll you'll start Siki. Maybe you let Velasco have a little time off, give Jesus a break, and then try and bring him back. You know, there'll just be some some rotation in there. Just they're not going to go ham on it, but they're also not going to completely fold ten either. So that's going to make everybody that participated in the imaginary Lionel Messi speculation <laughs> ticket purchase program really happy to hear Buzz. Well, it depends on what Charlotte and Nacoxa bring to the table. It's very possible that they could, they're, they're at home, you know, they're playing here. It's going to be 130 degrees. So, you know, they're probably still capable of winning some of these games. And if they, if you win your two games, you'll get to see Messi. So, well, so maybe, maybe effectively they're treating some crap midseason friendlies as crap midseason friendlies. Yes, basically. Mm, yeah. <laughs> Probably makes sense. Yeah. Uh, oh, you said you also had a. I'm sorry, Buzz. I didn't read the entire run sheet before I started to get to cute puppy dog names. Uh, yeah. Little news on the Academy Kid lawsuit. Yeah. If everybody remembers that the, the the kid's family or the kid, whatever he is, sued the Academy for what was it, forty million or something or whatever. So <laughs> it was actually a pretty quick process because uh, MLS has you sign a waiver basically at the beginning of the season um, that applies for you as a member of the club. And it has all these rules and regulations about the way things work. And one of the things that has in it is a clause about what happens if you have a disagreement. And the answer is if you have a disagreement with the club, you go to arbitration over it. And so the argument basically came down to, was he a member of the club or not? And the, the, basically the decision was he got injured playing for the club. So he's a member of the club. So you have to go to arbitration. So that's what happened. So there, uh, the last I read maybe a couple of weeks ago was that the court basically made that ruling. And so he, the player and FC Dallas are going to a arbitration hearing. Uh, I don't know when it is, you know, but they're all taking part in that process rather than the $40 million lawsuit. So, mm. I don't know what the outcome will be, of course, but it's moved away from court to this arbitration, and that's basically the outcome. So it's not revolutionary outcome, but that's basically what happened. It was a very short process. The minutes of it are funny to read. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'd imagine. All yeah. right. 
Anything else before we get to no. fun with puppy dog names? We had a lot of content today, but go ahead with your fun with puppy dog names. This is good. Come on, Buzz. It's fun yeah. to end on something no, sweet, like right? Do we I have? I think to... it's kitty cat names, isn't it? Not. Uh, I think it was puppy dog starts. No, I think it was it... cats. Did it start with cats and then it moved to dogs? It was always cats. It was one of the people in the Discord was getting a cat. Oh, okay. Well, anyway, somebody said they should name it something FC Dallas based, and somebody initially, I think it was Pappy Check that suggested Jesus Christ, which would be funny. Get yes. it? Yeah. Jesus, Jason, Christ. Yeah. Okay. Then somebody yeah, said, yeah. then somebody said Tex Hooper. Okay, whatever. That seems obvious. But then it started to get good and leave it to good old fashioned LFA with Meow Diaz, <laughs> Paxton Pommy Cat. Alan Velescat and Meowton Paws. I think Meowton Paws might be my favorite. <laughs> my, my favorite was uh, whoever said Kitty Cooper. I haven't seen that one yet. There was uh, Stephanie said Jimmy Me- Meower. That's a pretty that's good, good one. That's a good one, yeah. Uh, Hefe then shot back, not wanting to be uh, doubled up. Per Areola and Edwin Per Rio. <laughs> <laughs> Ferbian Castillo. Oh, that's a good one, yeah. Uh, and then Stephanie had cats. Uh, <laughs> I don't even know how to pronounce this. Katsoki Tafari. <laughs> okay. Uh, and then Hefe. <laughs> okay, now it becomes a, a back and forth between the two of them. Maxi Purudi. Purudi. Mm, that's a good one, yeah. Uh, At least it wasn't Purina. Right. Yeah. And then Stephanie still workshopping the Nikosi one. Katosi Tafari. <laughs> so furry's good. <laughs> yeah. And Jesus and then El Jafe shot back Jesus Pereira Pereira. Yeah. Uh Stephanie per Pernard Permungo and Emmy to a meowsy. To a meowsy's good. <laughs> I like the meow ones. They're good. I love this yeah. battle between the two of them. F now Jefe, Oscar Perea. <laughs> That's and, I should have thought of that one. That's, yeah. Yes, and then uh, Stephanie uh, knocked out uh, Kitty Cooper, and uh, then she had Meowsis Hernandez and Blas Perez. Oh, Blas Perez was a good one. Uh, he was on the uh, Spanish Univision, uh, for, you know, doing the Panama U.S. game today. Apparently, but the I, best uh, line out of all of it came from Jeff Tepper, who said Steve Davis doesn't like Kit Talk, but let's see how he likes Cat Talk. Cat Talk. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to uh, contribute to that with one toe beans, but uh, I was a bit concerned oh. that they were getting bloodthirsty in there. Toe beans is good. Toe beans. Yeah. <laughs> well, thank you to all of those people that participated. I got a good kick out of reading all of that. Uh, the other day until my uh, submission entry and all of it was the new Godzilla trailer. So yeah, you, uh, I you derailed that cat. I, derailed, I yeah. derailed kitten and puppy names with the, uh, with a Godzilla trailer. Yeah. So. I raised you in a Soka trailer. That was my jam. Mm, yeah. Uh, good stuff all the way around. Well, uh, let's all hope and pray that before we get to the all-star game break and leagues cup break, uh, things get better for the club because this is a, a tough stretch. And I think the FC Dallas curious depend on us to keep help, keep their spirits lifted buzz. Well, I think the return of an MVP caliber player will go a long way to lift everybody's spirits to be frank. Yeah. <laughs> Getting Jesus back will mean a lot. Uh, yeah, our dude hit a banger tonight against Panama to send it to penalties, uh, and it was a really nice finish, and it was good for him. 
to have hit hit that. So good for him. I will tell you the one last thing that I talked to coach about was I said, what happens if Jesus does what he's doing and someone comes in with a big check and he's gone? And he basically said, well, I can't worry about that. But if that happens, then we will do our very best to replace him. And we have to be ready with a player and names for when that happens. So, Interesting. You know, it's it's basically like that's that's the due diligence of a coach and a technical director is they should be sitting there with a list of names for every position on the field, basically. You know, and if, if Jesus goes for twenty million, how are we gonna replace that? Because that is very, very difficult. So hopefully they're doing that. Coach says they're doing that, basically. So. Yeah, I mean, I have to believe that Zanata has that list. Now, whether or not they can actually do anything about it or actually make, convert it into a signing is a whole other deal. Yeah, ability to convert it is a different question, but at least there was an acknowledgement that those things happen in this sport, and we have to be ready for it if it does happen, even though we don't worry about it on a day-to-day basis. So, Yeah. You know, it's about as pragmatic of an answer as you can expect from a question that probably they don't want to think about, but yet they have to. Yeah, for sure. More Zanata than him, but yeah. Mm, Very good. Well, uh, hopefully we'll have uh, more fun, good talk to talk about uh, after the game in Seattle, which again is Saturday night uh, at 9.30 Dallas time. Will we have to see them in the white shirt kits again? Yes. Hmm. I'm really turned. I'm really burned yeah. out on those. No pun intended. Seattle's going to be in the red, and so Dallas will be in all white. Ah, okay. Seattle's wearing their kung fu kit. Yeah. I finally found somebody that knows has those sheets and hooking me up. So that's they have what the sheets, the jersey sheets. I finally found somebody that has them this year. So oh, been, who has them me. this year? Oh, it's my little secret. I'm, I'm giving them Why aren't you sharing them with me? That's my favorite thing. Well, I'm not sharing it with you on the podcast. Oh, <laughs> everybody else. Well, no. Hear. What I'm asking is, are, are we not allowed to like we? Because we used to take the one that we had access to and we uh, we tweet it out. I've been putting it in my game previews, which you obviously don't read. No. <laughs> Nobody reads them. <laughs> People always ask me, is so-and-so in? What does it say in the game preview? It's right there. <laughs> it's too much work to click a yeah. link, Buzz. Who do you going to start? Link. <laughs> hey, what's the deal with this guy? Link. You know. <laughs> I didn't know you were getting those and putting them in. Now I'll read the. Now that I know they're in there, yeah. I'll read the preview. Yeah, so that's good that. promotion on your part. Yeah, cross promotion. Yeah, Patreon, sign up. Third degree, the podcast has been brought to you by Soccer90.com. Right now, shop all the latest arrivals, including the FIFA Women's World Cup gear, FC Dallas, all the sweet new European gear for the next season. Get those Marvel tops and pregames and warm-ups and balls and all that cool stuff. Third Degree listeners get 20% off at checkout when you use the code thirddegree at soccernoney.com. Some exclusions may apply. All right. Very good, fellas. Uh, good effort. Dan, it's great to speak to you again. Likewise. And Buzz, have a good weekend and uh, go FC Dallas, right? Yeah, go burn. Go uh, thanks burn. Thanks for being here to host and all that yeah. stuff. Yeah. Chockful episode today. It most certainly was. And thank you, FC Dallas Curious Fan. We will speak to you next week on another episode of Third Degree, the podcast. It's nearly over, honest. Third Degree, the 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 third degree, the